Welcome to the Southern Voice Rock Show. Here's your host, Jim Harris. Hey, welcome back to the Southern Voice Rock Show. Today we have the conclusion of our three-part series with Jeff Carlisi. Plus, we're going to introduce you to an up-and-coming Southern band that you're going to want to check out, the Georgia Thunderbolts. Their drummer, Bristol Perry, is with us today. So let's jump right back in with Jeff Carlisi. A big component of your musical career, something I want to touch on briefly, but uh, a few weeks ago, we spent some time with Derek St. Holmes, and you and Derek were bandmates in a a group called Big People that by any definition was a super group, and Derek was kind enough to give us the story about how Michael Cardelloni got that ball rolling, and then he was offered the gig with Skinner and so on and so forth. He's kind of given us the story of how the band came to be. But one of the questions I wanted to ask you was in the time that you all spent together, how close, if at all, did you guys ever get to saying, we need to get a record deal, go in the studio and put some stuff down? Were you just enjoying playing and that was something that was, you know, down the road maybe? No, no. I mean, we, we had a goal. We were enjoying playing, and basically the shows that we did in a very short period of time, you know, you're talking basically a year, we played our own songs collectively. But we were already planning on writing. We were throwing ideas out. Ben had some songs that he had on, I just actually ran across them the other day, a couple of cassette tapes with some songs that he had written. They were just great. And we go, all right, we've got a good start here. Derek and I had done a few things together. That was the goal. As far as a record deal goes, we were probably, it was a little premature at the time to think of that. We needed to get a batch of songs together. We never even got that chance because Ben got sick. Then it was just a matter of carrying on, supporting him until tragically and sadly he passed away at 52 years old. He was such a a wonderful guy. Liberty DeVito said he's the rock star of the group. And what he meant by that was it was effortless. On stage, he just had this awe about himself that he just glowed. And he had that with the cars. It was a pleasure sharing the stage with him for and being his friend for a short period of time. You know, in the end, the rest of us became, throughout that period of time, very good friends. And we carried on with the project but not with the same enthusiasm and ultimate goal that we had before. An agent said, well, you need to replace Ben. No, you don't get it. You can't replace Ben. Is McCartney available? (laughs) We can put someone else in his place, another guitar player. He was special. I'm glad that some of the, uh, on the internet, a live concert, actually, I think first or second concert we ever did from the original Bonnaroo Festival outside of Nashville. And it's great that that stuff still exists. There's a few things. Uh, That was our goal, but we didn't even scratch the surface on it. Jeff, it's been 20 plus years since that big people effort wound down. If that opportunity resurfaced or something similar to that in a supergroup type format were to arise for you is that something you think you might be interested in pursuing 
I don't know, Jim. I mean, I'm I'm pretty happy right now with my life. And I, people say you still play guitar? Yeah, I just sit on the couch or in headphones and and play all the time and explore different things. But I had the opportunity a few years back, about five or six years ago, to do a show with Paul Rogers, one of my all time, everybody's all time greatest singer around. And we spoke on the phone several times, and I actually did a long distance recording for a song that he was planning to uh, release, which I think he's got a new record coming out in September, and this song, a different version of it, but anyway, the same song is being released on it. But anyway, and Paul talked about going out, maybe doing some touring, and I talked to Simon. He said, wouldn't that be funny if you and I were playing in the same band again? And we kind of laughed about it. I would have, without even hesitating, said, I'm in. You know, I'm there. But it would have to be something very, very special and something that I hadn't experienced before. That being said, to put together a new project, that's a lot of work. Rick Derringer just lives 30 miles down the road from me in Daytona. We've been talking about just get together and jam. Stan Lynch, Tom Petty's original drummer, I haven't met him yet. He just lives up the road about three miles from me. Steve Boone from the Southern Spoonful, actually, he just left and moved out to Nevada, but we were hanging out. Interesting guy. Yeah, there were possibilities, but you got to kind of be in the same area. And Liberty and I had talked about it many times. Could we do something? But yeah, now he's in New York. Derek's in Nashville or wherever he's he's living now. I'm not sure what he... Yeah, he's still in Nashville. He, he is still in Nashville. Okay. To answer your question, probably not. Do I have the, not the energy so much, but the motivation to do something like that? Probably not. Here's a thought that would be less cumbersome than trying to do a, some kind of formal grouping. Maybe all you guys, uh, you and Derek and Liberty and Pat Travers, you guys could all just come hang out at my house for a weekend, bring your instruments. I'll feed you good South Carolina barbecue and I'll get to enjoy it and no one else will. And then everybody can be jealous of me with my experience. I'm in. It's good barbecue. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that was a selling point when you said Q. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. I'll mention that to Derek as well. Okay. <laughs> On a serious note, what is it that you think, after all these years, that keeps classic rock and southern rock? still pertinent i think the obvious things let's just say classic rock in general it's from a period of time where there was a individual and unique quality from one band to another and what i mean by that is that whether you're going back to the 60s or the 70s or even into the 80s you turn the radio on and you could oh i know who that band is they had a sound of their own and whether it was foreigner or whether it was journey or whether it was kansas or whether it was skinny Later on, I just feel that no fault of the bands, but because of record labels, they wanted the flavor of the month. And bands became somewhat homogenized. Roy was trying to do, well, they're the, they're the hot ticket right now, so we'll sound like them. Yeah, maybe that started in the 90s, I don't know, with uh, Nirvana that really set the benchmark. And then there were a lot of follow-ups. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say. People say, oh, music's not good anymore. Of course, music is still good. And you've always, people ask me, what kind of music do you like? Good music. There's, there's two kinds, good music, bad music. And I've never been 
want to just embrace a style and ignore anything else. And that goes to gospel, classical, whatever. It's just music is emotional. If it grabs me and makes me feel good, then I like it. I think maybe message-wise, lyrically, maybe it was from a time for all of us that things weren't so, oh, I don't know, everyone's got an opinion. Maybe things weren't so angst or things weren't so political or things weren't so woke or whatever. You were just, music was that release, that thing. I could finally forget about everything around me and just enjoy the music. And I think a lot of that classic music and specifically, or as a part of that, the Southern music, it felt good. It felt good. And it was a lifestyle that people embraced. And I think they always will. There's always going to be a contingent that's going to look for that in music. It's, it, that'll be their release. Let me throw a couple of observations at you for your reaction that's kind of tied into that. Alan Walden once told me that when he was managing Skinner that their mindset, if you will, is when they went on stage, they looked at their, themselves versus either, you know, in the early days versus the band they were supporting or in the later days, the band that was supporting them. They looked at it like a boxing match. It was a competition and they went out to take the stage very aggressively, like it was a fight almost. And I think that there's a lot of truth in that with Southern bands, because we've all been to concerts where we went to see a band we were anxious to see. We really loved their studio effort. And then when we saw them live, there was a substantial drop off. And that didn't happen with Southern bands. I think Southern bands, and a lot of that maybe has to do with a lot of them coming out of Studio One, which I think did a great job of capturing in a studio how a band played live. But I think a lot of Southern bands developed loyal followings because on stage they delivered everything that they did in the studio and more. Would you agree with that? Oh, 100%. I mean, and all the above of everything you said, uh, 38 Special, we learned a lot from Skinner because, number one, their work ethic. And there was that. We knew that when it's time to go on stage and play, and it's, even with, with other Southern bands, whether we were playing with the Outlaws or Charlie Daniels or Marston Tucker or whatever, we were out for blood. We are going to win. And the attitude was, you guys can try all you want, but you're not going to beat us. That was the attitude. And I remember we did very few shows with Skinner over the years, ironically, but I remember playing a show with them. don't remember where it was. We finished the set, and Ronnie came back and opened the dressing room door and took us out. He goes, congratulations, round one to you guys. <laughs> and I remember, how cool is that? You that know, had to just, feel like a million bucks. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's admitting defeat because we knew how important that was, but he was man enough to come back and pay homage to, job well done, guys. Tomorrow's another night. See you then. <laughs> It's a friendly competition because I guarantee you, any of those bands, and especially in the in the southern rock genre, when the show's over, we're back at the hotel and we're toasting each other in the bar or hanging out or having a softball game. Yeah, we're, we're friends. We have a tremendous respect. But anything with competition, be it any sport, racing, football, baseball, yeah, you're competing. You're competing. And why do you compete? You compete to win. That's your, your prerequisite. That's what you have to do. And, but it doesn't mean you can't be friends. So 
Yeah, that was very, very, very true. Whether it was just Southern bands or whatever, I, you're right. I mean, I've seen some other bands too that live, it's just like, boy, that was disappointing. And it's always gratifying when someone would come to you after a show and I'm saying, man, you sounded just like the record or you sounded better than the record. We always had the attitude that you know, our fans are coming and they're spending whatever it was in the early days, five bucks for a ticket. God knows what tickets are today. I've seen some for two, three hundred bucks for a show. I was like, you can't be kidding me. They're spending hard-earned money to buy, not only bought the ticket to show, maybe uh, for their girlfriend too, and then you want them to buy a T-shirt, and whether they can afford it or not, you want to deliver. You want them to go away going, that was one of the best shows I've ever seen. Because I remember walking away going, oh my gosh, that was one of the best shows I've ever seen. And you become a lifelong fan. If something disappoints you or you felt like you didn't get your money's worth, it's one strike and you're out. <laughs> exactly. One other thing, Jeff, that I think as the classic rock era began to be replaced with the next new thing, which was maybe a little bit of the metal and the hairband time frame, I think that that era was represented by a lot of really great musicians. but. Whereas in the golden era, I think almost every band and artist in the 70s and early 80s were also excellent songwriters. In the hair band era, I think great musicians, but their songwriting, and there were some bands that were good songwriters, so this doesn't apply across the board, but not as high a percentage of the artists were great songwriters. Would you say that's a fair statement? Yeah, I, I actually... I gotta be honest with you. I don't have an opinion on that. I can't. I would. I'd be remiss if I said yes or no. And probably the, the reason why I can't answer that honestly is is I just didn't pay as much attention to a lot of those bands to really analyze what they were doing. Not that it's my right, but I just didn't pay that much attention. I knew a lot of them had guitar players I thought were great. The only thing that I remember is during that period of time. I guess you could arguably say that Van Halen started that whole movement, if, if you will. And Eddie was a phenomenal, obviously, a otherworldly guitar player. Probably the only guy since Jimi Hendrix that just revolutionized uh, the instrument. And then all of a sudden, all these guys came out of the woodwork trying to be Eddie. It's like, why? You can't do that. He did it already. Do your own thing. And some of them were more successful than others, but it was just kind of homogenized that genre of music. So I don't know. Speculation, maybe that sameness carried over into lyrics or what they wrote about, whether it was the Motley Crue subject matter themes, but again, not saying any of those bands were bad. I don't know why that, that happened. You mentioned yesterday that you did a deep dive into a book about Tom Petty, and that led you into becoming more of a Tom Petty fan than you had been before. Is that the first band that you've kind of done that with, or is this something you explore on a regular basis? Probably to this degree. You know, there have been other bands that I read things about and just realized, oh, wow, I missed that part, or I, I need to go back and explore that. With Petty, it was to a higher degree of not only understanding the band, 
and the music they created, but Tom as a person and an individual. That's the one thing you never know about people. I wonder what kind of person they are. What kind of guy is he? Or how does he think? It was really cool. I mean, you get a chance to experience the human side of, of that person and how he reacts with other members and their person. It's amazing. Bands can stay together even for an hour with uh, all the different personalities. It's like a, a marriage of six people or five people or whatever. And you do have tensions and ups and downs and some bands are more successful than others. And I think somebody took, said one time that average lifespan of a, of a recording artist or as a band was like three years. I said, well, we did pretty good to have lasted that much longer. But Petty went through a lot. I mean, not only with his band, within his own life. I often wonder, he says, wow, I love the traveling wheelberries. I wonder how he got in there. And then it all of a sudden became apparent. With his influences, be it Dylan, of course, and Roger McGuinn. But it was just fascinating. It was There were two books. One was basically like a, an autobiography on him, but the whole band, kind of the history, which was good. But then the first book was called Petty. And then the, uh, the second book, which was an interview, the whole book was an interview between him and the journalist that he well-respected and guy really took the songs apart and whatever. And that's called Tom Teddy. So you'd recommend both? Yeah, yeah. Warren Zanes, Z-A-N-E-S, is the author for Petty, which is basically a biography. It is very good. Tom Petty, it's really good. It gets a little tedious later on because they just take song for song and ask Tom to talk about it and whatever. But it was it was like all of a sudden, I'm like this fan. My buddy Peter Stroud, who's Cheryl Crow's guitar player, knows Stan, and he and his wife are coming down to visit in October. He goes, we'll get together with Stan. You guys need to get together. So I'm looking forward to that, sharing some more stories, as they say. Oh, to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> Bring some cue. You got it. Jeff, listen, I want to thank you so much for being so generous with your time and for uh, being with us on the show. And I do hope that we can get you back on again. I think there's plenty left to talk about. My pleasure. I mean, just, you got the number. Give me a holler, and uh, I'll send you uh, the pictures I had mentioned before from the Hell House with original Skinner Band with Ronnie and myself and pictures where it's, you know, the place where all those songs began. Well, we um, will definitely share those with our listeners because, uh, you know, they, they love stuff like that, and, and myself as well. You got it. But yeah, just holler anytime you want to talk again. I enjoyed it. It's nice to connect with your audience out there and, and your fans. It'd be my pleasure to come back on the show. Or come to South Carolina for barbecue. So we'll, we'll kind of keep that one open. Okay, sounds great, Jim. Now, something rocking. In this week's covers, we're going to suggest a remake of a David Bowie classic, Rebel Rebel. It was on his 1974 album, Diamond Dogs, and that album was considered significant because it was the last in his glam rock phase. It was the first without guitarist Mick Ronson. David Bowie ended up playing all the lead guitar parts on the album, and on drums, Ansley Dunbar that would later go on to be a huge part of Journey. But Rebel Rebel was a single released in the U.S. It did well, and that song became a staple in Bowie's set list for years. In 2021, Def Leppard released a compilation album called 10 Yeah, 
and songs from the Sparkle Lounge, Rarities from the Vault. That included their remake of Rebel Rebel, and it is a rocker. We recommend you check it out, and hey, let us know what you think. Rome, Georgia is becoming a hot spot for new rock talent, and the Georgia Thunderbolts are leading the charge. Good combination of classic rock and southern rock. These guys absolutely know how to get it done on stage and in the studio. And we're honored to have drummer Bristol Perry with us today. Bristol, thanks for being on the show. Hey, man. Thank you. The guys in the band, Georgia Thunderbolts, you guys go back to high school and you grew up around Rome, Georgia. Did I have that part right? Yes, sir. That's, That's about right. Yes, sir. Well, there's a lot of good artists coming out of that part of the country now. Rome is uh, starting to make its mark on the music biz, so it, you know it's good to see you guys doing it as well. You guys have been together for a while. A lot of folks listening to us, I'm assuming, may not have heard your music or may not be familiar with the band yet. Give me a couple of bands that you would say were influences of your band members and somebody that you think your music might kind of fit in the same category with? Ooh, that's, man, that's a lot, a lot of influences. First and foremost, I'd go with Skinner, Leonard Skinner, for sure. I mean, any band out of the South, I think, is definitely inspired or, you know, influenced by Leonard Skinner, first and foremost. But also, I think we have a lot of, like, Southern Rock influences, but also, like, a band like Audio Slave was very influential to us, like, music-wise. But, you know, we still sound like, that's what I feel like we sound like, a mix of Leonard Skinner or, like, Audio Slave, like, that type of stuff. Leonard Skinner, Molly Hatchet, all the Southern bands, man. So maybe you might say today's version of Skinner, Hatchet, Outlaws. For sure. Well, that's a pretty high compliment. And having listened to your stuff, I would have to agree with that. Now, you guys have been beating it up on the road pretty heavy. Who uh, who have you toured with? Oh, man. We went on some tours with the Outlaws. We played with the Outlaws, Marshall Tucker. We're actually doing a couple shows with Marshall Tucker next month in, like, Colorado and I think Oklahoma, maybe. But um, we've opened and toured with Blackstone Cherry, some country artists as well, like Luke Bryan and Kane Brown and stuff like that. But for sure, like, the Outlaws, Marshall Tucker. We played with Molly Hatchet. We played with all, all those bands, man. And they're really good people. Doug from Marshall Tucker and Henry from Outlaws, man, they've been great to us, especially them two guys, man, from those bands. Been really nice to us. They're great people, great bands, man. B.B. Borden from uh, Marshall Tucker is going to yes, be on uh, an episode with us very soon. Uh, super guy. And, I mean, he's played with the who's who of Southern bands. Yes. Yeah, man, he's a cool guy, too, man. I talked to him on the road, you know, whenever we play with him. He's awesome. You guys released an EP in 2020 and an album in 2021. What's new on the horizon? Is there anything coming up, new music-wise? As of right now, we just got our new single mastered not too long ago, and hopefully, I believe the date is September 14th for a new single to come out called I'm Gonna Shine. So, and that's going to be on all major platforms, right? Yes, sir. And of course, yes, sir, all, uh, yeah, your EP and your album also are on iTunes, Spotify, so easy to find. A more detailed music question, if you will. One of the regular features that we have on our show 
is called Covers, and that's where we recommend to our audience a remake of a classic rock song. I've always felt that covers were really a good indicator of a band's versatility because, you know, there's kind of two ways that covers happen. Uh, There's the cover that sounds like a Saturday night bar cover band where you play it like the original artist as much as possible. And then there's the version where a band takes it and makes it their own. And you guys have a very interesting cover of a Southern classic, Midnight Rider. Was that something that was in your set list and you decided to record or were you recording and you thought, you know, we just really need to find a great song to cover? How did that how did that come about? Definitely is definitely been our set list for a long time. And I felt like 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 you said, you know, we could have just went in there and recorded like the Almond Brothers did. We all wanted to do something, you know, make it sound different. Like I said, we play like, you know, Southern Rock, but we can kind of get a little heavier, you know, we got a little heavier sound. Kind of like Blackfoot, you know, Blackfoot was pretty decently heavy for their time. The ending, we kind of just put it together, you know, a different, I guess, take on it, you know, man? Because, like you said, we didn't want to do it. We'll get in there and play it like the original. I would say for all of our listeners out there, if you're going to sample the Georgia Thunderbolts and you really want to see what they're made of, that is a good song to start with. Yeah, man, thank you. I think you guys really rip it up. I know you have a website, georgiathunderbolts.com. Is that the best place for fans to keep up with news, new music, tour dates, and so forth? Yes, sir. Facebook and the website are probably the best ways, and also our Instagram as well. For everybody that lives in the Southeast, you guys have a lot of dates coming up. I was looking at your calendar today, and one of the most impressive, and this kind of goes back to the Allman Brothers connection again, but in August, you guys are going to be at the historic Grant's Lounge in Macon. Yes, sir. Is that your first time there? It will be. It'll be our first time. Well, there's a lot of history inside those walls. For sure. That's what we've heard. Yeah, for sure. Bristol, anything else we need to know about uh, the Thunderbolts and what's going on? Or we just need to listen to some rock and roll and get out to a show? I mean, you can listen to some rock and roll guys show, but hopefully, man, I'm I'm hoping... Hopefully early next year, a new album coming out. Well, that's fantastic. Well, will you stay in touch with us and kind of keep us posted on the progress? And uh, we'll definitely let our listeners know when to expect it. For sure, man. I definitely will. Bristol, thank you so much for being with us. And I'm excited to know that a lot of our listeners are getting ready to get turned on to a band that they are really going to enjoy. So thanks for being with us. No, thank you, man. It was a pleasure. This week's Hidden Gem is the 2010 self-titled debut album from Stillwater, Oklahoma's Taddy Porter. This album had a single, Shake Me, that did well on the charts, was featured in a couple of TV episodes and movies, but the entire album is great rock and roll. A friend of mine once described Taddy Porter as what would happen if the blues, classic rock, and southern rock had a baby. Definitely check them out. They rock it hard. Taddy Porter from 2010. All right, we want to thank Jeff Carlisi for giving us three great episodes of Rock and Roll History, and also Bristol Perry for introducing us to the up-and-coming Georgia Thunderbolts. We'll be back next week. See you then. Thanks for listening. 